We welcome you this morning and all our KFUO listening audience as we continue our study of Galatians. And today we're going to start, uh, we've got a few verses left, Galatians 4, we left off at verse 27, 27. And this is a quote, for it is written, rejoice or be glad, barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry out, she who does not have labor pains. For many are the children of the deserted rather than the one who has a husband. This is a quotation from Isaiah 54, 1. Now, I told you when we closed last week that as we read this quote, our tendency always is to try to apply it to what Paul has just talked about. And if you recall, Paul has just talked about this allegorical interpretation that Abraham had two wives, or two, Sarah and Hagar. And that represents two covenants. One, a free woman who gives birth through promise, and one, a slave woman who gives birth by flesh. And he's talked about that. But suddenly he switches and talks about a desolate woman having more children than the one with a husband. Now our tendency is going to be to try to say, okay, which one is Sarah and which one is Hagar? Well, Sarah was desolate or barren for a while, but she had a child. But she's the one that had the husband. The woman who had the husband, that can't be Hagar. It does not work for us to try to impose Sarah and Hagar on this quotation because Paul doesn't mean it that way. He's going in a whole different direction. And for us to see that, we have to go back to verse 26, okay? The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. He's talking about the fact that there is a heavenly Jerusalem. And he's speaking in terms, remember this is all allegorical, that that's our mother. When we apply that to this quote, and we can do so, because if we read Isaiah chapter 54, it is about Zion and heavenly Jerusalem. So, why would Jerusalem be called barren and without labor pains? Because she was, earthly Jerusalem was, when God poured out his wrath on them for going after idols and the Babylonians destroyed the place. But that is now over. This is heavenly Jerusalem. And many are her children even though she was deserted for a time under God's wrath. 
more so than the one who has a husband. In other words, from heavenly Jerusalem, things have now changed. If we think in terms of heavenly Jerusalem being our mother, it is by the grace of God that this occurs. And there's no birthing progress process, and there's no labor pains, because the many that she brings forth are by grace and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why there are many. Now, we're tempted to also apply that to Sarah, but this is being applied by Paul to the Gentiles. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as many of the stars of the heavens. But it wasn't by natural genealogy. All these people are descendants of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 4 says. To be children of Abraham is not to be born through the lineage of Abraham. It is by faith. So what Paul is talking about here is the heavenly Jerusalem, God himself has brought forth many from that which was desolate. And he's done it without labor pains and he's done it without a birthing process. He has done it by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is about. It's not about Sarah and Hagar. It's about what God is doing. And it basically refers to Gentiles. Okay? And that's the way Paul applies it, because the people in Galatia were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. Okay? They were Gentiles. So God brought forth many, many descendants of Abraham by faith, okay, by faith. And that's what he says in verse 48. You brothers, according to Isaac, are children of promise. We are children of promise because the promise of God, which is the gospel, is what made it happen. Not descendants, not genealogies, not being able to trace your genealogy to, genealogy to Adam or to Abraham. It is by faith in Christ. It is through promise that we are children of God. And it says, like Isaac, because Isaac was the result of the promise of God. Abraham and Sarah could not have children. It was only because God promised Abraham that he would have a descendant that God made this come about. Sarah was 90 years old. Abraham was 100. This child was born of promise. Okay? Born of promise. And so are all of us. But having been born of promise through faith in Jesus Christ, we are children of Abraham, according to the Scriptures. Okay, but so the one born according to the flesh persecuted the one uh, according to the spirit 
as is it now. So what he's saying is, those who are of the flesh, not true believers in Christ, persecute the sons of promise. Persecute the sons of promise. And in this case, he's ply, applying it directly to those in Galatians that those false teachers that have come in among them are persecuting them to try to get them to abandon faith in Jesus Christ and go back to the ways of the law. So they're being persecuted. Being persecuted. Then he does, an, he does another thing with an Old Testament quote. But, one scripture says, cast out the slave woman and her son. For um, the son of the slave woman will not inherit with the son of the free woman. That's a direct quote from uh, Genesis. That's what Sarah says to Abraham. When the household, you know, the boys got a little bigger, Ishmael was making fun of Isaac. And Sarah was not going to put up with that, and it says she went to Abraham and said, get her out of here. Get her and her kid out of here. Cast them out. Get rid of them. And Abraham did. When he sent Hagar and Ishmael on their way. Because Ishmael was not going to inherit the promises of God as he had promised. Not going to happen. So, brothers, we are not children of slavery or slave children, but free. Okay? We are after the children, the child Isaac. It all comes by promise, not by works of the flesh. Okay? By works of the flesh. So he's pointing them to the fact that even as Gentiles, they have been born of a promise. The promise God made all the way back to Abraham. Now, we had a question a few weeks ago about how this relates to Israel. And that's a relevant question. You see, Israel would say, you're not a child of, Israel, uh, of, of Abraham unless you are a descendant born of his line. Paul is saying, you are a descendant of Abraham by faith. By faith. Right? And that's his point. So now he carries that forward in 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ, uh, we are set free. Uh, Christ, uh, we are set free in Christ. Okay? Uh, our Christ is our freedom. Okay? For freedom. In other words, since we were children of promise, born from the free woman, we were born for freedom. Christ has given us freedom. Chapter 5 of Galatians is going to talk about freedom and what the implications of that freedom actually are. Okay? Actually are. 
And um, so, but we can say right now that it's definitely this, freedom from having to keep the law in order to be saved. So what does he say? Stand firm and do not again, do not again be entangled in the yoke of slavery. Now, there's something here that um, the yoke of slavery The Jews used to talk about us being under the yoke of the law. Paul is not is now messing with the words. So it's not you're not enslaved in the law. You're not under a yoke of the law. You're under a yoke of slavery. You're under a yoke of slavery. Because if you're under the yoke of the law, you're enslaved by the law because you are believing that you can save yourself through the law. And that is slavery. That's what Paul is pointing to as slavery. Look, I, Paul, I, okay, say to you that if anyone, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, Christ is of no benefit to you. Now, the word look would probably be better translated, mark my word. Mark my word. If you allow yourself to be circumcised, Christ is of no benefit to you. Now, there's a couple of things going on in these passages. Sometimes these passages, when Paul's speaking, seem to indicate that everybody in Galatia has gone to the dark side. But sometimes it's saying, obviously, some of them haven't. That's probably deliberate. It's probably deliberate. He wants to warn them but at the same time, make it clear they are invited back, okay? So it's both and. But here, mark my word, if you allow yourself or let yourself be circumcised, Christ is of no value to you. No value. Now, why is he saying that? He is saying that because you can't have it both ways. There is grace, and there is salvation by the law. If you add anything to the faith, then you have put part of salvation on what you do. The implications of this are far-reaching. In other words, you're saying that Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you is incomplete and has not totally satisfied God. For you have to add this to make up what Christ is lacking. That doesn't sound very good, does it? 
But that's what he's saying here. If you add anything, like circumcision or, or anything, and think that that's part of your salvation, then you have said Christ is insufficient and I have to do this too. So in other words, you cannot have salvation by faith plus works. It's got to be all faith or all works. You want to buy all works? You have to keep everything in the law, which no human being can do. So the only hope is Christ. It was like Pastor Shulin's sermon this morning, light and darkness. If you're in the light, you know you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Stop going back and forth between light and darkness, thinking you save yourself. Okay? Can't do that. It's one or it's the other. But both won't work. I testify you again that any man who is circumcised, or every man who is circumcised, that um, he is indebted to do the whole law. Okay? If you are circumcised, then you are in debt yourself to the law. You've got to keep it all. The old illustration. How many pins does it take to pop a balloon? One. How many sins does it take to break your relationship with God? One. Because the law you got to take it as a whole. You can't cherry pick which parts you like and which you don't. If you break one law, one commandment, you are guilty of breaking the whole law. That's what he's saying. So, if you're going to try to keep it, you indebt yourself to the law. You're back in that slavery mode. You're back in that slavery mode. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Yeah, bud. Yes, unfortunately, and Bud's question is this, do other denominations at times, Christian denominations, kind of fudge the language and say they're saved by faith, but they kind of wiggle in some works here and there? That is true. Under all kinds of guise, all kinds of guise of language, and that's why the Lutheran Church has been insistent since the Reformation. You can't add anything to the article of justification by faith. Because once you add it, you are on the slippery slope and you're done. You're done. So they may try to work it in there but, you know, we've talked about this. Um, when you come to church here, you always hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we preach a steady diet of works, I guarantee you people would start thinking they're saved by works. Now, works are part of it, but they have to be put in the appropriate context, which he will later in this chapter. He will. Okay. 
But notice how he uses the words, if you're circumcised, you indebt yourself. You are indebted to the whole law. Okay? You are severed from Christ, being those who seek righteousness from the law, you have fallen away from grace. You are severed when you try to save yourself by works. When you are seeking your righteousness by works, you sever yourself from Christ and from grace. Remember when we studied Romans, Romans chapter 3. How does Romans chapter 3 start? But now there is a, another righteousness through Jesus Christ. Okay. There is another righteousness. And, and uh, we studied that. We studied it clearly. At the beginning... Uh, of chapter uh, in Romans. If we, if, if you want to turn back there a minute, um, Romans chapter three, beginning at verse twenty-one. It's worth looking at. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, there is a righteousness that comes from God that is not from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all, for all who believe. That is the righteousness that God gives because no one can obtain the righteousness through the law, by keeping the law, it is by faith. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. So, then he goes on. For you uh, are from eager, eagerly await uh, by the Spirit through faith for the hope of righteousness. Now, what he's saying here is we are by the Spirit and we are in faith through the Spirit. And now, we eagerly await and hope for the righteousness. That is perfect righteousness. We're not perfect now. We're not perfect now. The eagerly awaiting that time where Christ will come again and we will have perfect righteousness. We will be perfect. We hope for that time. We hope for that time. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is able to do anything but faith working through love. That's the first time Paul mentions love in, in this section. Faith shows itself in love. Notice the implication of faith working through love. This is faith 
given you by the Holy Spirit, working love through you. Okay? Working love through you. Okay? All right. You were running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you? Or what hindered you? Um, from being persuaded by the truth. What, what was it? You were running well. You were doing well. Suddenly, who hindered you? Who got in the way of you obeying the truth? Now, the truth is always the reference to the gospel that Paul had preached to them. So who hindered you from obeying the truth? Okay. And then he says that uh, this persuasion is not from the one who called you. So what he's saying is there was a persuasion by some to stop you from running well, and it wasn't the truth. This persuasion did not come from the one who called you. That is, it did not come from God. It did not come from God. You were persuaded by these false teachers, the persuasion did not come from God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, what he's saying is, when these false teachers came in, it may have seemed like a little but it ultimately corrupts the whole. Luther wrote about that likewise, that if we tolerate a little error in the church, by the time it's all done, it will be a big error in the church. Like letting the camel's nose into the tent. You can't keep the rest of the camel from getting in there. So, that is why we are so hard <clears throat> on false teaching. Because if we let it get started, the thing about false teaching is it many times sounds so good. Okay? That has to be right. But it's not. It's worse and worse and worse. Okay? So, um, he's still, so he says, I have confidence in the Lord. The actual word is, I have been persuaded by the Lord. You haven't, but I have. Okay? You've been persuaded by these other people, but I have been persuaded in the Lord. I have confidence, persuaded in the Lord, that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So in other words, Paul says, I'm persuaded that you're going to follow the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the one who is troubling you is going to get his. Notice he doesn't name names. He just says whoever it is. 
it applies to anyone who is troubling them. Anyone who is troubling them. Now this is not unique in the scriptures. It's, it's going to get a little worse here before we're done. In the scriptures at times we do see the righteous anger of both God and believers in God who want the wrath of God to fall on others. It's throughout the Psalms. It's throughout the Psalms. There is righteous anger in the Psalms. There is righteous anger by Jesus when he cleanses the temple and when he calls out the Pharisees. Woe, he says. So this is not unique. This is not unique. Then he asks a question. But if I, brother, still teach circumcision, why am I persecuted? Now, that question raises more questions. Did Paul ever preach circumcision? Well, maybe only before his conversion. He was a Pharisee. But his question is kind of hypothetical. If I was preaching circumcision, if I was telling you people you ought to be circumcised, then why am I persecuted? Because these false teachers were persecuting the Apostle Paul. Because what they were saying was, he's told you part of the gospel, but not the whole gospel. You need circumcision. You need these other things. They were saying Paul was uh, an incomplete, almost incompetent teacher. He was being persecuted as if he was still teaching circumcision, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Yet he's being persecuted. And then he says... The offense of the cross has been removed. When you do not preach the law, when you do not allow the law to be a part of our salvation, when you preach that a person can do nothing to save themselves, when you preach that it is by grace, through faith, for Christ's sake, and stick to it, that is a stumbling block and an offense to sinful human Because they believe they can save themselves. They believe they can contribute to their own salvation. They believe that they can earn God's favor. It is offensive to them to say you can't do anything. Human pride hates that. That is the stumbling block of the gospel. Stumbling block of the gospel. So, then he gives his final wish, and it's the wrath of God. I don't know what your translations say. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. In other words, I wish the knife would slip and take care of those who are troubling you. Very harsh. But again, after the pattern of the Old Testament, um, 
the psalmist calling down the wrath of God on the evil. So, now he starts in on freedom. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as a opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Okay, you now have this freedom. You do not have to keep the law. Christ has kept the law on your behalf and you have salvation. You are free from the law. You are now free to the law. Because you no longer are keeping the law in order to save yourself. You are seeking to do it to say, thank you, God, for saving me. I want my life to be like you want it to be. Free from the law, free to try to fulfill the law. Notice he doesn't say you're free to do the law. He doesn't say that. But through love, serve one another. Love, then, is the fulfillment of the law, and it flows from hearts that have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. The love of Christ redeems us, and that love now shows through us to others. Not trying to earn God's favor, but trying to honor God. And so he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice he doesn't say uh, do the whole law according to you shall love your neighbor. The law is fulfilled when you love. He's trying to avoid language that in any way, shape, or form will lead the Galatians to believe that by doing the law, they're keeping the law. He wants them to simply fulfill the law through love. Through love. Because he warns them, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's the negative. If you do not, if this love is not flowing through you, then your natural desire is going to be to bite and devour one another. But love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, the rest of the chapter, we'll talk about that. The rest of the chapter, we'll talk about that. What is it to be free under the gospel? What is it to be free? All right, questions, comments. Yeah, but correct. Yes, he's pointing back to Christ. Uh, we can't fulfill the law. Christ has fulfilled it for us, but we fulfill it when we act like Christ. Okay when we are imitators of Jesus Christ. And the only way we can be imitators of Jesus Christ 
is through the Holy Spirit working through us. Then it can happen. Then it can happen. But we can't do it on our own. Can't do it on our own. Yeah, David? In verse, um, no, it's all agape love. All agape love, which means God-like love. Philadelphia, Philadelphia, uh, and Eros are both the kinds of love that human beings have. But agape is God's love for us. So what he's saying really is, God's love for us is what we live for others. God's love, we're going to live in that kind of love for others. Try to imitate that kind of love. But not, but out of joy. That we want to do it. We don't have to do it, we want to do it. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. Right? Anything else? Yeah, a couple more. Ruth. Correct. And that's through the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen without his power. Rob? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We are transitioning. He has... He has now he's going to deal with deal with circumcision again in chapter six, okay, because he's giving them warning. But we are transitioning, and the rest of chapter five we're going to find out next week is pretty much based on sanctification. That we have been justified, and now, how do we live? How do we live? All right, we'll pick up next week at verse uh, 16. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.